Hey guys, welcome back. So this episode is going to be a little bit different. You just have me today and we're not doing a coffee of the day segment. So this episode is actually just going to be essentially a newscast style episode of what's been happening in Idaho. So right now, I'm sure many of you are extremely curious as to what the heck happened to the four university students at the University of Idaho, as am I. And it's been a case that I have been trying to keep up with. But the problem is, is that when cases are this big and there's tons of media attention, everybody likes to get involved. And then all of a sudden facts become murky because there's all these theories and everybody's got their hands in the pot. So what I thought would be really helpful one for myself, but also for the listeners of this podcast, is really just diving into the information of what's truly fact and what's not. So this episode, it's not really an episode. Like I said, we're just sharing the details of what we know so far about the Moscow murders and the four slain Idaho students. And with that being said, the information that I have there's probably going to be more information that comes out by the time this episode gets up. This is a current case. The investigation is still ongoing, but I wanted to share with you what we have so far about this case. So this case is truly bizarre because there were four students at the University of Idaho who were found dead in a house that they all shared along with two other roommates. This case is honestly so bizarre because none of it makes any sort of sense. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason as to what happened and why this brutal murder occurred, but the main question is what happened and why. So I wanted to give you some details on what we know about the case. And so with that, it all began around noon on Sunday, November 13th. So just about two weeks ago, the call came in about an unconscious person at 1122 Kings Road in Moscow, Idaho. This is an off-campus house where students attending the University of Idaho were living, and when police arrived, they found that the front door was wide open. When police entered the home, they didn't find any unconscious people, but instead found four college students who had all been stabbed to death, and it didn't appear to be a murder-suicide because the weapon was not found at the scene. Immediately, an alert went out asking students at the campus to shelter in place and to stay away from King's Road where the bodies were found, which was just south of the campus. The Moscow police issued a statement stating that they did not believe that there was any threat to the community, and then university president Scott Green made a follow-up statement claiming that all of the victims were students from the university. Classes were then canceled for the following day, and the police made a statement that Monday identifying who the victims were. The four victims were 21-year-old Kaylee Gonzalez, 21-year-old Madison Mogan, 20-year-old Zana Kernodal, and 20-year-old Ethan Chapin. I also want to share a little bit about these victims just before we jump into the details of the case, just to ensure that they are the ones who truly deserve justice in this case and that we focus on who they were as people and not let any of that get lost in the shuffle while we try to find out who committed this crime. Kaylee Gonzalez was a senior studying general studies, and she was looking forward to working in the tech industry post-grad and then going and living in Texas next year. Kaylee also had a backpacking trip in Europe planned for the spring prior to her big move to Texas, and her family released a statement to CBS News saying, quote, Kaylee was, is, and will always be our defender and our protector. She did absolutely everything she set her mind to, and she didn't hold back on love, fights, or life. Kaylee currently has a big TikTok following, and she has a really big smile that shines so bright that just shows that she's truly happy and enjoys the life that she was living. Madison May Mogan was born on May 25th, 2001 in Eugene, 
in Oregon, and Maddie spent her first two years of life in Oregon and then moved with her family back to North Idaho, where her parents grew up. Maddie was also known for her ability to make others smile and laugh with her offbeat and hilarious sense of humor. Maddie was also admired for her focus and dedication to her future, and she excelled in school and all of the jobs she worked at throughout high school and college. She also had a huge network of friends, colleagues, supervisors, and teachers who would not hesitate to give her an amazing reference and remark on how wonderful of a person she truly was. She worked so hard and she cared about everyone she met and everything she set her mind to. Maddie was so excited to attend the University of Idaho, which was just a little bit far away from home, and once there, she made the dean's list every semester and she joined Pi Beta Pi and met some of her closest friends, all while having her sister Kaylee close by. She did have a boyfriend. His name was Jack, and her family says, quote, we will think of her forever, surrounded by pink, sparkly things that are tiny and cute because that's exactly how we picture Maddie. Zana Carnodal was a positive, funny woman who made her big sister, Jasmine, very proud. Quote, Zana was one of the best people I've ever known. She made such a she made me such a proud big sister, and I wish I could have had more time with her. She had so much life left to live. Zana Kronodal was a junior studying marketing and was a member of the Pi Beta Pi sorority and was always laughing and having fun with her friends. And Zana was born in 2002 to her parents in Sandpoint, Idaho. Her parents were proud of her and Zana encouraged her and encouraged her career choice. Her father stated that she had a lively personality and was always surrounded by a ton of friends. She was polite to everyone and helped others without expecting anything in return. Her father and sister have publicly shared the news, but her, her mother has not, as per reports. Jim Chapin and Stacy Wells Chapin welcomed Ethan into the world on October 28, 2002. He arrived as one of three triplets. Hunter Chapin was his brother, and Maisie Chapin was his sister. The University of Idaho was his place of study, but he was originally from Conway, Washington. Ethan was the boyfriend of Zana Cronodal and was spending the night with her when the attacks occurred. Quote, Ethan loved life. He laughed continuously. He smiled when he woke up and was still smiling when he went to bed. He was kind to all and a friend to all. May we all try to make the earth a better place and may we all live just like Ethan. Ethan enjoyed playing basketball, volleyball, golfing, surfing, and pickleball, and his family asked that in lieu of flowers, loved ones donate to a youth basketball program as that's what Ethan would have wanted. So the residence where these students were found was a three-story home with two bedrooms on each floor. The victims were found on the second and third floors of the apartment, and three of the four victims lived at the apartment, and Ethan was the boyfriend of Zana and was spending the night with her and was in her room when this attack happened. There were two other roommates who lived in the house, and police have stated that those two roommates, whose rooms were on the first floor of the home, were home the night of the murders and had slept through all four victims being stabbed to death. Police had said that there was a dog in the house who belonged to Kaylee, and quote, the dog was unharmed and turned over to animal services. Kaylee shared the dog with her boyfriend, Jack, and the dog is now in Jack's care. At least one that we know of fought back which you would think would cause a lot of noise with screaming and yelling, and we really don't have any answers as to how four people can be stabbed to death and not make enough noise to wake anyone up in the home. That's one of the many bizarre details of this case. The other two roommates also survived. They were in the house during the attacks. Police have said that these two roommates have been cleared as suspects and are cooperating with them through this investigation. What hasn't been released is who exactly made that 911 call, but police have confirmed that it came from one of the phones of the surviving roommates. Apparently, they woke up that morning and discovered that one of the victims who they thought was passed out, so they called some other friends to come over and check on this victim, and it was discovered that this victim was not passed out, but had been stabbed to death, and this is when someone made the call to 911 around noon. 
The timelines of the four victims is still in development, but what we know is as follows. There had been a University of Idaho football game the night of Saturday, November 12th, and many students had attended, which was followed by a spirited night on campus. We know that Kaylee was out and about because she posted a series of photos to her Instagram on Saturday night. One of the photos was Madison sitting on Kaylee's shoulders, and they were surrounded by both Ethan and Zana and the other two surviving roommates. The caption read, quote, one lucky girl to be surrounded by these people every day followed by the heart emoji. And this is just heartbreaking knowing what follows this photo on this night. And it's pretty eerie that the four of them took that photo together earlier that night and that it was the last thing that Kaylee posted to her Instagram. After the football game, Ethan and Zana went to a frat party at the Sigma Chai house while their two friends, Kaylee and Madison, went to a bar downtown called the Corner Club. Around 1 a.m. that night, the two surviving roommates both came home separately. They had been out of town and had come home to go to bed while their roommates were still out having a good time and having fun. At 1.41 a.m., Kaylee and Maddie had left the bar they were at and made their way to a popular food truck that college kids would often head to to grab something to eat after a night out at the bars. The food truck was called Grub Wandering Kitchen, and together, the victims ordered some mac and cheese. Kaylee can be seen on video surveillance talking with the man in the food truck, asking if she has enough points for something free, and he nicely tells her no, and then she goes on to pay for her meal. This food truck was one running on a live stream on Twitch, so their entire encounter with this food truck is on surveillance. The owner of the food truck, Joseph Woodall, said that neither of the girls appeared to be in any kind of distress or had any abnormalities. However, they did walk up to this food truck with another boy, and he has been identified by police, and it's been stated by police that he is not a suspect. Police are saying that he is cooperating with the investigation, and if you read about him, you'll often see that he's identified and referred to as, quote, white hoodie guy. After they get their food, they part ways with White Hoodie Guy, and at 1.56 a.m., they arrive back at their off-campus home. Ethan and Zana had already gotten home shortly before, and authorities state that a private party had driven the two girls back to the house because there's no evidence that they had taken or paid for an Uber or a Lyft. This private party has been identified police and has been put on the police's, quote, not a suspect list. Once back at the home, Kaylee places seven calls to her ex-boyfriend, Jack, between the times of 2.26 a.m. and 2.56 a.m. A lot of people have made a really big deal about these seven phone calls that happened and speculated what was trying to be said in those phone calls. Jack didn't answer any of these, and these were the calls that happened right before the murders took place. However, Kaylee's family has come out and said that this wasn't unusual for Kaylee to do and that Kaylee would often phone people in the middle of the night and keep calling until they picked up, usually for some small, unimportant reason. Maddie then called Jack three times between 2.44 a.m. and 2.52 a.m. So here we can probably conclude that the two of them were hanging out and still around each other and Kaylee had and Jack were on a break but were still on good terms and it was looking like they were going to be getting back together soon. Maddie has also been Kaylee's best friend since high school and the families both saw the other as their own daughter and sister so it's not really strange that she'd be calling Jack trying to get him to answer Kaylee either. I also want to point out too it is a college girl thing to just bombard your ex-boyfriend or your current boyfriend with phone calls. We all do it. We all did it. So I just don't think that that's something too hard to look into. Jack didn't answer any of these calls because he was asleep and his phone was on silent. After this, everyone goes to sleep 
and police believe that sometime between the hours of 3 a.m. and 4 a.m., the victims are stabbed to death and murdered in the home in their beds while their two roommates slept. It was then, around noon, that the call came in to 911 about an unconscious person at the home. Police believe that the four victims were asleep when they were attacked, and they found no damage to the property and no signs of forced entry. As of now, there is still no one in custody, and it was made a point that this was often a party house and that there was a pin padlock where you would type in a code to get into the house. Since this was a house with a lot of different foot traffic and a lot of parties, there were a lot of people who knew the code to the house. This is also an off-campus house, meaning that the house is rented out by college students every year. So again, that's a lot of people who knew that code to get into the home as the house was turned over each year. Father of Kaylee Gonzalez said in an interview that the initial 911 call may have come in as an unconscious person report because his daughter wasn't answering her phone. Quote, I know the girls reached out via texting and calling, so I can only assume by the phones being ignored, knowing how my daughter is not going to ignore any calls or texting. He also disclosed publicly for the first time that his daughter and her best friend, Maddie, used a sorority-designated driver service to get them from the grub truck downtown to their home at about 1.56 a.m. the day of the murder. The president of the University of Idaho made another statement, and that was, quote, the Moscow police did not believe there was an ongoing community risk based off of information gathered during the preliminary investigation. Then, the mayor of Moscow, Idaho, gave an interview to the New York Times where he described the murders as a, quote, crime of passion, but he didn't give any detail on why he thought that or said that. Typically, a crime of passion is a crime committed in the heat of passion or in response to provocation, as opposed to a crime that was premeditated. Therefore, there was no planning this crime. Something snapped, and then it happened. Police then said that, quote, an edged weapon such as a knife had been used to kill all four victims. They were referring to it as a Rambo-style knife. To date, that we know of, police have not recovered the murder weapon. The police also said, quote, investigators believe that this was an isolated, targeted attack, and there is no imminent threat to the community at large. We hear you, and we understand your fears. We determined early in the investigation that there is not a threat to the community members, and evidence indicates that this was a targeted attack. The police chief, James Fry, and the entire Moscow Police Department, and the FBI, who has been brought in to assist on this case, have indicated that there is still no one in custody, and that they don't have any suspects. So, how would they know that there is no immediate threat to the community? Police Chief James Fry acknowledged that there were two other roommates in the home at the time, and he said, quote, we're not focusing just on them, but we're focusing on everybody who was coming and going from that residence. A little later, Chief Fry backpedaled and said, quote, we cannot say that there is no threat to the community. And as we have stated, please stay vigilant, report any suspicious activity, and be aware of your surroundings at all times, which makes this police department look really bad when you have to backpedal and basically say you're unsure if there's actually a threat to the community because you don't have a suspect yet. Bailey Briggs, a senior environmental science major who lives in a neighboring building to the residence, said she had first learned about the case through the university's alert system, but had actually received pretty little information on the case since then. Though the police have said there's no imminent threat, she said many people are really worried. She said, quote, they say it's a homicide. They're 100% sure it's a homicide but there's no threat? Like, what's that mean? These are also the first murders in Moscow, Idaho in over seven years, which could mean that the Moscow Police Department isn't quite sure how to handle a case of this magnitude, and that they may be severely underprepared in order to do so. Since Thanksgiving break has come and gone, classes at the University of Idaho have resumed, and the university has left it up to students on whether or not they feel safe and comfortable to return and attend their classes. A lot of them haven't felt safe, and have took off all through Thanksgiving and even through the holiday season. The campus has upped their campus patrol and their student escorts to 
ensure students do feel safe and are protected and the university has made counseling available to students if they do wish to attend. On Wednesday the 16th, there was a candlelight vigil held for the four victims, and earlier that day, Jim Chapin, Ethan Chapin's father, made a statement indicating that the Moscow police were not giving him and his family any information, and that they did not feel as though they were getting any information on the case from these investigators. Police Chief Jim Fry then held a press conference where he apologized for not holding a press conference earlier, and he made clear that they still do not know a lot about the information from this case. The three things he said that are still unknown are, quote, the identity and the location of the suspect, the location of the knife used in the murder, and the location of any clothing worn by the suspect. On Thursday the 17th, the coroner, Kathy Mabbott, completed her autopsy of all four victims. She said that she didn't find any indication of sexual assault and said that there were extensive stab wounds. Some of the victims had bruises and defensive wounds that would be caused by a large knife. She also acknowledged that some of the victims had defensive wounds from the knife attack, adding that she had seen, quote, nothing, nothing like this in her nearly two-decade career. The report stated that they all had, quote, quite extensive wounds, which confirmed that each victim was stabbed a different number of times and in various places on the body. Police then came out and said that they are now looking for a military combat-style knife. They then told the public that the threat was still out there and that there may have been multiple suspects in the attack. Kaylee Gonzalez's family held an interview with CNN where her father, Steve Gonzalez, said that he was, quote, a little in denial about the killings, and he's focused on getting justice for his daughter despite the lack of information he's getting from investigators. He said, quote, they're telling us that there's so much evidence that it's going to take a lot of time to process it all. This wasn't like a pinpoint crime. This person was sloppy. They're wasting their time with Jack. Jack is just as distraught as we are. Jack is our family. Jack is with us and we stand behind him 100%. We know in our hearts and our minds and our souls, the depths of our souls, that Jack is hurting. Kaylee and Jack would have eventually been married and they would have eventually had children together. The killer is having a great life out there and you're just left in shambles. I have to have my justice. These families deserve that. We have to come together as a community, so submit all those pieces of evidence and get this guy off the streets. The police have also told the families that it was clear that one of the victims was the main target of the killings, but they have not shared which of the four was that main target. The sister of the victim, Kaylee Gonzalez, has said that the official line from police that the murders were targeted is difficult for the family as she revealed that they don't know what that means exactly. She said, quote, it's really difficult, especially because law enforcement is kind of throwing around this term targeted, but we don't know what that means. And it almost makes it feel alienating because we don't have any more information on that. I don't know who the target was. I don't know if it was all of them, if it was one of them. I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. Police Chief James Fry said, quote, we believe they're targeted because we take a totality of all the circumstances we're looking at. Do we know any one person that was targeted? We're not able to say at this point in time due to our investigation, but we still believe that. Police said Sunday that they had received more than 488 digital media submissions via the FBI portal and are encouraging anyone who sees or knows anything to submit a tip because any bit of information will help. You can submit a tip to tipline at ci.moscow.id.us or call 208-883-7180. So with that, that's really all the information that we have. Um, I will put the tip lines and all the information and the articles that I read in the case notes below. But with that being said, this was just a different style of um, case that we covered today. Just wanted to get this information out there and my heart is hurting for these families. I just honestly, like I was in college not too long ago and like 
lived with five of my girlfriends and I can't even imagine waking up and and having that happen in the house that we lived in like that's just insane it's so scary you just don't think about that stuff in college and like in college you're just living this carefree life and then to have this completely destroy your world I just my heart hurts so as always we upload every Monday and Thursday you can find us on Instagram at crime with a k and I will be back on Monday with Chase for your regularly scheduled episodes see ya